one of the things about the trans uh, rights movement is it's so incredibly homophobic. The idea that that like uh, a, a lesbian can have a penis is pure homophobia. Um, and then also you've seen what recently happened after October 7, which was an extraordinary convulsion of anti-Semitism around the world. And it's it's not just anti-Semitism, it's unembarrassed yes. anti-Semitism. Yes. Yes. Anti-Semitism that's not ashamed of showing its yes. face. Yeah. Yes. And that's because I I think that all these old ancient prejudices have been given a, a, a shine by the internet, memes and stuff like that. They just make it feel new. They make it feel like these people are 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 are, are stepping outside the norm. But it's like, no, you're not. You're just doing what people have done for forever. You're hating Jews, you're hating women, and you're hating gay people. Hello and welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. I'm, I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McElhenney. So, uh, big news. I, you may not know this, but you can ask Alexa where to, to, t- to book a holiday for you. She'll just take it all out of your hand. You just have to give her the parameters. It's kind of like AI, you know. And I asked Alexa, I said, Alexa, send me a trip. Send us on a trip, right? Somewhere like the Northern Ireland of my youth, you know, the Northern Ireland I grew up in, you know, only with more sun, you know, more sun, brighter, you know. And you won't believe where she's chose to send us and where we are going. Mm. We'll bring you more of that in a moment. It'll be and, very interesting. You won't. And mind. and we interview one of the greatest comedy writers of our time about how he lost his career and livelihood because he wanted to state loud and clear that men are men and women are women. Um, it it shouldn't seem to be that controversial, but um, it, this man's whole life was destroyed by it. So we're going to bring you that incredible interview. Yeah. But first, Phelan. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I said to Alexa, Alexa, as I say, Northern Ireland, my youth, more sun. Uh, so she has chosen to send us to we are going to where are we going now so we're going to Israel and so when you see us next on the podcast that's where we will be reporting from yes Um, uh, it's it's important. I mean, jo- joking aside, and I suppose oh, like I shouldn't beyond, be joking. Beyond, like beyond joking aside, and actually, yes. I'm going to. I'll 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 definitely sober this thing up very quickly by quoting from Sam Harris, who who wrote a really gr- great piece in the Free Press. Um, and and basically, I'm going to read a little bit of this because it'll t- it'll certainly sober this conversation up very quickly. In the wake of the Hamas October seventh attack, it's important to keep in view the bright line that exists between good and a very specific form of evil. It's the evil of bad ideas, ideas so bad that can make even ordinary human beings impossible to live with. There's a piece of audio, and this is the extraordinary piece, and some of you have probably heard this before, but I think it's worth remembering. There's a piece of audio from October 7th that many people have commented on. It's a recording of a cell phone call that a member of Hamas made to his family while he was in the process of massacring innocent men, women, and children. The man is ecstatic, telling his father and mother, I think brother that he has just killed 10 Jews with his own hands. He had just murdered a husband and wife and was now calling his family from the dead woman's phone. Here's a partial transcript of what he said. Hi dad, open WhatsApp now and you'll see all those killed. Look how many I killed with my own hands. Your son killed Jews. And his dad says, may God protect you. Dad, I'm talking to you from a Jewish woman's phone. I killed her and I killed her husband. I killed 10 with my own hands. Dad, 
10 with my own hands dad open whatsapp and see how many i killed dad open the phone dad i'm calling you on whatsapp open the phone go dad i killed 10 10 with my own hands and it goes on like that he makes one funny remark by the way this is the worst ad for whatsapp that has ever that has ever existed then he says get get the get mom on yeah get mom on mom you need to open the whatsapp and of course she's obviously an older person or whatever and she has problems opening the whatsapp but this, what he goes on to say, which I think is extraordinary, Sam, he says, Harris. Sam Harris says, he goes on to make a really good point. He said, you know, can you imagine, he says, I'm just going to say this, um, as I told him, it's not typical. Yeah. Can you imagine if, you know, if, if one of the American soldiers at the Miley massacre had phoned home, can you imagine for a millisecond that they would have said something even remotely like that? Yeah. Or even the Russians and Ukraine are supposed to be the most evil people in the world, whatever. Uh, you know, imagine them saying they wouldn't have said that. This is a special kind of hatred uh, uh, bred in there. I mean, what kind of, you know, I suppose there's a universal here that everyone wants their parents to be proud of them. Um, uh, in this circumstances, their parents are proud of them because he has killed 10 Jews, women uh, women and children uh, and men, innocent men, women and children, not 10 soldiers. 10 uh, innocent civilians, including women and children. And then the other point he makes that Sam Harris makes that I think is actually a really good one. He says, of course, all of this horror, and it's worth looking at and reading the whole piece. I'll put a link up in the show notes. Um, Of course, all of this horror is compounded by the irony. This is a great point, by the way, that the Jews who were killed on October 7 were, for the most part, committed liberals and peace activists. Hamas killed the sorts of people who volunteer to drive sick Palestinians into Israel for medical treatments. They murdered the most idealistic people in Israel. Mm. They raped, tortured and killed young people at a trance dance music festival devoted to peace half of whom were probably on MDMA, he says, feeling nothing but the love for all humanity when the jihadists arrived. In terms of a cultural and moral distance, it's like the effing Vikings showed up at Burning Man and butchered everyone in sight. So that's where we're going, by the way. So we're going, yes, yeah, so we're going to Israel. So, because yeah, because the story hasn't been reported properly. There's, it's been the, mer- memory hold. Yes, they're trying to make you forget what happened in Israel on October 7th. We want to remember, remind you, and we want to remind the world what happened in Israel on October 7th. And uh, so we're going to go and rep- bring you those stories um, and, you know, try and, and find a way to tell their stories in the best way we can. Um, we're, when you, By the time you're seeing this, we'll hopefully be in Israel yes. uh, starting to gather stories. It's a, it's a long trip, but no problem. We're going there. So the next time you see us, we will be in Israel. And... Uh, I mean, there's not. I mean, if ever there was an unreported story, you know, the story of the of the victims is is being memory hold by newspapers. I mean, the fact that every news program in the world isn't starting out every night mm-hmm. by saying this is day whatever number it is at this point that the hostages have still been held, including babies, that that is not the first item on the news is bizarre and obviously the photographs and video of people all over all over uh, america certainly ripping down and in and in the uk and other and parts on of Abbot europe Kinney in los and on abbot kinney lots of, we saw them ourselves we saw that we saw the results of what they had done of ripping down the um the flyers that are that are alerting the world and reminding the world of the fact that these hostages are still being held um that's you know that's so yes so our job of reporting the unreported um is actually never been more important never because more those stories those stories are not being told no. by the mainstream media so we're going to tell them uh, i mean when you think about it there are there are children being held hostage uh, american children by the way yeah. irish children there's an irish girl yes it yeah 
yeah. being held hostage. Is, 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 it not, is it mentioned on the Irish news? Is it is it read out in Parliament? No, it's not. So we need to go there. These are unreported stories, and we're going to report them. So in before all that, before we're going to go over to an interview we just did earlier, earlier. with the great, great Graham Lenehan. Comedy, he's a comedy writer. He, he, uh, he's, Genius. He's one of the best comedy writers the UK has produced of the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and uh, he suddenly realised... Uh, that there were in a big, I think he was pretty liberal. He suddenly realised there was this something going on over there. See over there, and the, this trans thing is 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 a bit weird. I might say something about that, but as he says, he did his research and uh, said something, and his world collapsed. Uh, he 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 was cancelled in a cruel, vicious uh, uh, way. He's written a book called Tough Crowd. You. Uh, uh, by Graham Linehan. We're going to put a link in the show notes. We're putting a link in the email we're sending out as well. Uh, if you're on our mailing list, you've got to buy this book. You've got to listen show to this support, book. Show support for on this Audible. Man. You can get it on uh, on Amazon or on Audible or on Kindle. Graham Linehan, L-I-N-E-H-A-N. It's called Tough Crowd. But we'll go over now to the interview. It's a, it's a, it's a funny. It's a lot of fun, the interview. It's serious. As a, he's a comedy writer, he's a great rock on terror. You won't want to miss this interview, so please have a listen. Have a listen. To our next guest, well, he needs no introduction to uh, the British, Irish, European viewers. Uh, to explain to our American viewers uh, who Graham Linehan is, to give him more context, if you like Dairy Girls, uh, it's my theory, and I'd love to hear Graham's theory in it, that Dairy Girls is a poor remake of. The great sitcom Father Ted from 1990s uh, UK and Ireland. Um, anyone of our generation from the UK or Ireland knows Graham Linehan. He's most famously created Father Ted, uh, which was a, 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 a genius comedy about three priests living on an island. Uh, um, fictitious island. And a fictitious island in Ireland. Um and I, I mean, we have a lot to talk about, but I do want to, I have a little bugbear that I think Derry Girls is a rip off of Father Ted, but I'd, I'd be very interested to hear his thoughts on that. Um, he he also wrote The IT Crowd, uh, wrote several other uh, seminal sitcoms of the 90s and, the, and maybe the early 2000s. Um, his life was great professionally and personally, he won all the awards, much loved, um, until until it all went wrong. Um, so that's what we're here to talk about. He's got a new book out called Tough Crowd, um, and it's about his rise and fall uh, from the comedy world uh, for speaking the truth. So welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you. Nice to be here. Let's start at the beginning, I suppose, um, so that people get to know you. Uh, you're Irish. Uh, you started off as a, a journalist in one of the the coolest newspapers in Ireland at the time, one of the coolest periodicals, uh, and, and at a very interesting time in Ireland. How did that happen? And then how did you move to comedy writing? Well, uh, when I got into Hot Press magazine, which is the magazine you're, you're, you're talking about, um, uh, there was a guy there, there was a guy working there named uh, Arthur Matthews, who I immediately kind of realized was, was just extremely funny, a hilarious human being. And, um, he, he we we kind of bonded over a number of over i guess certain styles of comedy there was a there was a comic around the time called viz still exists um that was always very smart um but it was a kind of a combination of smart and stupid 
Uh, and that for Arthur and me w was the kind of sweet spot, you know, something that was intelligent, but almost deliberately silly and stupid. And uh, yeah, we just kind of kept following that or following what made us, what made us laugh. Um, and he, st he was doing, uh, he st we started doing this thing that I was kind of tangentially, tangentially involved in called the Joshua Trio, which was a parody of U2 uh, that our friend Paul Woodfull did. And Arthur used to do Father Ted as a stand-up character. Um, uh, I, the joke I always tell, I tell this on every podcast, I'm, I'm sorry to repeat it here, but it's so good. I think it doesn't matter really. He said, uh, he used to come out and say to the audience, he'd be kind of treating them like they were in a church, you know, we'd be at these gigs and he'd, he'd treat them like uh, church announcements. And one, one time he said, uh, if there's anyone at the back who can't see, say hello to them. They're from St. Kevin's School for the Blind. <laughs> so, you know, the yeah. little moments yeah. like, yeah. There yeah. Are things I, I, like that. Just, I mean, the Joshua Trio, I mean, I mean that's how cool you were, right? You were you were making fun of, of the coolest band on the planet of Earth. the coolest band uh, on Earth in a kind of underground. So that, that that you were kind of part of the underground comedy scene in Dublin, uh, underground journalism scene. The hot press was was what's known as the alternative media at the time. It was like I remember there was a regular kind of advice column about sex matters in hot press. That was considered very racy, but we were always slightly embarrassed by it because it was a little, uh, it was a little uh, uh, too honest and and uh, too raw sometimes, you know. And sometimes we didn't know where to look uh, when that came out. But like you know, it was it 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 was like that was just an example of Niall Stokes, the editor, pushing against the times, which were still you know, the the kind of Catholic Church's tendrils, they weren't as strong as they used to be, but they were still clinging on a little bit. So it was that atmosphere that led to Father Ted and led to us. And, and, and actually, and I don't mean this as a criticism of, against Nile, the editor, it was, it was also slightly kicking against Nile because it was kicking both against the conservatism and the reaction to the conservatism. That's a good point you're making because uh, it, Back, I think Father Ted probably came out. Was it was it the mid nineties? Mid nineties, yeah. And it's like it's hard to understand just how radical it was to put three priests on an island, uh, three Irish priests on an island in nineteen ninety four, and not say anything negative about them. I mean, that was kind of uh, that was the shocking part, you know. Um, I mean, apart from, I mean, of course, they were venal. They no, were... You make the, no, you make the point that you make, that in the whole series, you make, I think, one reference. I think, as you said, I think you, in the book, you mentioned that you made one reference to the, the, the paedophile scandal in the, in, the, in the priesthood in Ireland. But really, that you, 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 from the outset, you were kind of were like, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. Um, somebody else can do that kind of work, but um, that you weren't doing that. And actually, I actually think that's one of the real big strengths of the show, actually, is that it doesn't, it doesn't go for that, like, for that sort of cheap... Uh, Kind of in a way to cheap or you know easy, kind of an easy humor thing that could have been done, but instead of that, it's much more sophisticated and gentle. I describe it as gentle as well. Um, what a brilliant, what a brilliant series! I see that you you mention a lot. You you loved Seinfeld, and I think you got a lot of your inspiration from Seinfeld. Yes, I mean certainly in the the third by around the third series, the structure was very heavy heavily influenced by Seinfeld. The way they 
they had kind of running parallel storylines that came together at the end. I, I suppose we don't want to talk too much about. It. We want to get on to the to the yes, book. Yes, uh, the book. Here's the, the book, book. The book. Um, but you know, you made a great point. Well, about- the book does concern itself mostly with with. With my comedy career, so yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah true. Asked me about it, so this is great. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, <laughs> and, and, and the book is like two books, actually. Yeah. People have said that. You it's know. very distinctly two books for me. It the, felt the, like the first more more than the first half is about your your comedy writing and your theories about comedy and, and sitcoms and brilliant points, including one that I thought was fantastic about brilliant point about Shakespearean audiences, Shakespearean audiences at the time that Shakespeare and, and the argument between commercial and non-commercial. Yeah, we've met, so we anyway in our career we've we've met some some. Types, some but, uh, writers. Let's just say we've met some writers, and there's one particular writer um, who made a huge point, and I loved this because it really, it really resonated when I was reading your book. This writer who said, "Oh, I don't want to be commercial," and it's like, "Oh, okay, you want to write." You want to write for your not for people or not, like not for and you make this really good point about Shakespeare. Do you want, uh, let, let why don't you tell us the point because Shakespeare I, was commercial. I, I, that, sh- that Shakespeare was super commercial because the people in the audience had knives. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I was just kind of. I think I used it more to kind of explain why I like filming in front of studio audiences. They're very kind of um, uh, looked down upon by 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 uh, a lot of people in comedy uh and they went they suddenly went out of fashion and the phrase canned laughter became kind of ubiquitous even though uh you know canned laughter is not used it's a real audience um and i just kind of uh i think a lot of the big thing we kept hearing in the arguments against uh, studio audiences was i don't need to be told when to laugh and my point is that I didn't use the audience to tell people when to laugh. I used the audience to tell us when we were being funny. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it, to me, to me, studio audiences uh, allow for a slightly different feel. It's slightly more elevated uh, uh, performances uh, and the jokes have to be properly solid with a very well constructed uh, they all have to be very well constructed so that so that the whole audience knows their jokes, you know. Um, and it just makes for a different style. I'm also a huge fan of the more subtle, understated uh, uh, show. Um, but, you know, the thing I always gravitated towards was big laughs. Uh, sorry, I've got WhatsApp on, I'll turn that off. Uh, big laughs, uh, big set piece moments. Um, you know, the things I was trying to emulate was was really uh, Faulty Towers, where a, a set piece would lead to such a kind of sustained moment of laughter that you would be red faced watching it. You know, yeah. you'd be finding it hard to catch your breath. Yeah, and that's what I wanted. And I feel that audiences, they bring that out of you because, you know, I would be writing things and, and be like, uh, you know, this isn't going to get a laugh. So it's gone. You know, and 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 that's and I had a I, I actually had an editor on or a producer on uh, the IT crowd, and he was very funny because, like, he was so savage. Everything that didn't get a laugh, he just it was gone. And so I'd be like, oh, this is a nice moment when they sort of exchange a glance here, and I'd look over him at him in the editing room, and he'd be like, yeah, it's going. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it was like, yeah, and and so what it became was like this this incredibly condensed ball of laughter, you know? Um, 
and uh, yeah, it's just something. So Shakespeare, Shakespeare was in under even more pressure doing the plays every night. <laughs> yeah. The audiences who had knives, and you know who who was like, and I genuinely think that like it 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 was the added pressure of the audiences. That you know made Shakespeare as good as he yeah. was. I mean, uh, it's I, people... I had to be careful there because I did. I did Go I ahead. Want people thinking I was comparing myself to Shakespeare? No, no, no. no, no but I people, want people, people, people thinking sh- I was comparing myself to Shakespeare. No, but people should people should think that you know it's a nice discipline. Think that your audience all are carrying guns or have knives, right? <laughs> and are prepared to use them. <laughs> yeah. if they, if, I mean, imagine imagine if you were writing yes. like that, saying my audience has has guns, and it's not they're, they're not going to walk out. They're going to shoot me if I don't make them laugh. It's a good, you know. Well, I think that's a little bit yeah, hard. Yeah. As, as somebody who has, and I, I really appreciated you writing about your stand up career, and I know that you've re, re, reignited it recently. I have tried to do stand up comedy a few times, and the concept of thinking film that on top of everything else people had guns would be really it's it's bad enough as it is by the way <laughs> but uh yeah to think that they would they could shoot yeah them. well you know they don't they don't need guns you know i mean not laughing is punishment enough it's so terrifying to say to like every time you tell a joke you're kind of uh you're taking an educated guess that something you found funny will 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 translate to to uh, you know a wide cross section of society. So so when when that doesn't happen, ooh, it's 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 pretty nerve wracking. Okay, I know. On, can I just ask a question, Joe? Just on just on stand up because yes. I'm just curious. Now that we're on on that, because when you talk about a wide cross section, because it's interesting. I I I played to a very friendly crowd, by the way. It was during COVID. It was very COVID based uh, humor, uh, which wouldn't which wouldn't be for everyone, right? But nowadays, right, if you I mean, what I mean, I think I think in the book you 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 say that you've talked to people who are on the circuit. Like, what is the circuit like now? If you do appear in front of a cross section of, do people literally look at each other and go, "Is it okay for me to laugh now? Can I laugh at that? Do they do that shit, or do people actually behave like normal human beings?" Well, I have a very specific experience because the place where I perform is called the Backyard Comedy Club and it's really just, uh, you know, they only put on people who've been cancelled and people who are kind of free speech figures in some way. And as a result, you get a very sympathetic crowd. You know, it's I, it's funny, like I... I, I, my observation recently, I get, I get, there's a lot of goodwill for, for me when I get up on stage. I, I, I even get standing ovations sometimes when I walk up on stage and, and my, and I'll think, oh, God bless you. But my line is, uh, my line is, um, is I always get a better reaction uh, at the start of a gig than at the end. <laughs> if it wasn't for my material, be, uh, if it wasn't for my material, I'd be the best comic in the world. Oh, you know? but like, no. it's, that's uh, unfair. It's, that's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talking of your no, material. No, 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 no. Well, you know. Go on. I like making fun of myself. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it's always been my style. What did you think of my point that Derry Girls is very heavily reliant on Father Ted? I haven't really watched Derry Girls because one of the cast was was one of the people who kind of tried to cancel me. And actually, Nicola Coughlin, her name is, and she actually asked Twitter to take to remove me from Twitter, you know. So I don't really have any love for that show or for Hat Trick, uh, who cancelled the Father Ted musical, which I'm sure we'll speak about. My, my point is, like, Derry Girls, funny enough, is set in the mid-90s in Ireland, right? And it takes it. It's set in the troubles, which was you know dominated by one thing, but it doesn't really talk about the troubles. It talks about people living 
and the troubles almost as a kind of a backdrop, but not even there at all, right? And it just struck me as, as and I, I have a friend, uh, uh, John Waters, who says 1994 was the most perfect year in Irish history um, <laughs> in the sense that it, it was the, you know, coming out of, people had a bit of money and were coming out of kind of getting rid of some of the shackles, but also hadn't gone completely crazy, woke, mad, right? So there was this, and so it's very interesting that right, both- yeah, that's bo- true. Both hit series, uh, Father Ted and Dairy Girls, are both set in this mid-90s time when you could do that. Um, so anyway, I, I, if you haven't seen it, I just felt that it's very interesting that two of the top, two of the best series, comedy series about Ireland in the last 40 years were both set in 1994, you know, or 1983. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so... The second half of the book. Go, go on. on. You, you had all these hit series... Uh, Tell us, how did it all go wrong? Where did it start? And do you remember, was it a tweet or, and were you surprised by the reaction? I just noticed people using the word TERFs about women. And, uh, and I was like, I, I quickly realized that it was a slur, you know, it was a slur. Uh, and it, was, it seemed to be aimed at women who were standing up for their rights in the most basic way, arguing for fair sports single sex spaces and non-medicalization of children. Um, these things seem to me entirely sensible. So I think, you know, after a while, I, I just thought, why am I, why am I even, why am I even nervous of getting into this debate? The, the positions of the turfs are so obviously clearly correct. And the positions of the opposition were so incoherent, uh, uh, misogynistic, uh, homophobic, which which was a surprising aspect, and um, uh, you know dangerous to children and children's and children's health, especially gender non-conforming gay or autistic children. Uh, so uh, I just thought, well, all these things together mean you kind of have to talk about it because if you're not talking about it, then you're allowing um, people to undergo the most appalling harassment, and and uh, and so I stepped in. Um, I genuinely did not think it would uh, destroy everything I had. I kind of um, felt that I had the Father Ted musical as collateral. Uh, that was going to be my my pension. Um, but, of course, they got to that too, and Hattrick Productions uh, have kind of uh, preemptively banned it. You know? so, 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 so anyway, yes. No, so, but- so it was it was just a kind of com- combination of seeing the arguments online, following it for a while. I did what I did. I did what a lot of people do who get into this debate. I did my reading. I, I kind of thought, okay, am I absolutely sure that my position is correct on this? And I, I looked at everything and I thought, yeah, yeah, there's no, it's, it's airtight. But unfortunately, I quickly realized that we were up against people for whom airtight arguments and logic doesn't re- don't really matter. They just operate purely on the basis of whether they think they're being nice. And uh, unfortunately, I found out that those people, Nicola Coughlin being one of them, um, are completely insane in terms of in terms of how they respond to this debate. Tell us about Nicola Coughlin. Well, that's all I know. All I know is that she kind of, uh, 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 kind of, uh, you know, uh, tried to get me taken off Twitter and and called me a bigot and just helped helped the general kind of um, pylon. Uh, 
atmosphere so, around me. Yeah, the pylon and the feeling that I was doing something wrong. You yeah. might you might be the first man in history then to, to say to get to get testicular cancer and say it wasn't the worst thing that happened to you. Tell tell me what happened that made that made you think testicular cancer. What a relief. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, as I often say, I wish I'd taken the time to enjoy it a bit more. Um, yeah, it was kind of last last time I was able to relax, you know, was in the hospital bed. Since then, it, it's been like uh, fires breaking out all the time, you know. Um, you know, and each, each one of them was kind of uh, adding on to the previous one to further destroy my reputation. Pink News started writing hit pieces on me. Uh, by now, over the last five, six years, they've written seventy over 75 hit pieces about me. Uh, those hit pieces now kind of form the basis of my Wikipedia entry. Uh, it, it was just a kind of all-out attempt to portray me as a bigot uh, and a kind of anti-LGBT person. Uh, even people who are on, ostensibly on my side sometimes describe me as anti-trans which uh, I'm certainly not. I have lots of trans-identified friends who agree with me on this uh, and are treated terribly by trans activists. Um, but, like, you know, it, it was just... It, it was... It was it just became out of control just so fast, so quickly. And I think one of the reasons it got out of control so quickly was because I'd written shows that were so beloved by the Irish and then by the kind of IT people or people in computers, like the same way that J.K. Rowling's work is so important to multiple generations, uh, same generations who were trying to cancel her, they they took extra kind of delight in in trying to destroy her as well. So, yeah, so it's kind of like a, um, uh, it's been a um, uh, very tough ever since I had cancer. And the cancer it literally was the last time I remember being able to relax. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you should say you did your reading. One, if, if you listen to, the, I'm sure you've listened to the J.K. Rowling podcast, the the, the witch trials of J.K. Rowling, or the trials of J.K. J.K. Rowling. I mean, that's one thing that comes out there. She really did her reading. Mm. She did exactly what you did. She thought this doesn't seem right, but am I wrong? Because because actually, I think the, the problem with you liberals is uh, uh, is that. All your friends uh, were saying it, right? And I, I'm using, you know, you're, you're, you're from a liberal background. I don't know where you are now, but I mean, all your friends, all the people you were friends with were saying it probably and people that you, you'd hung out with and, you know, had drinks with and all. And you were thinking, well, these are the nice people. Surely they, you know, surely, surely they've, do, they've done their research and yeah, the there's something, something I'm missing. Is that the way it was or? or, or yeah, a little bit. A little bit. And also there were, there were some arguments that when I first heard them, they sounded, and this is why they used them, they, they had a kind of authentic feel to them. Like I remember one early argument that I fell for, briefly fell for, was when they said, oh, trans people have always existed. They're just getting brave now and coming out of the closet. And, you know, that, that makes sense for about five seconds. Until, you know, it's like, here, here's my biggest argument against that. If trans people have existed throughout history, then Shakespeare would have noticed, you know, because he noticed everything else about yes. humanity. Yes. So the fact that there's an entire cohort of humanity that he didn't mention is, you know, 
is, uh, is, is a sure sign that that's a nonsense argument. But unfortunately, I don't think anyone fell for, for the arguments for long. But what did happen, and this is where I, I've, I'm so disappointed by my friends and colleagues, they just didn't think it was important enough to get involved. And so, when, you know, I remember telling two colleagues on the Father Ted musical that women were losing their sports. And the reaction was just kind of sniggering, you know. It was just seen as beneath, you know, their, their um, uh, uh, you know, something that was, that was just not even worth considering. Yeah. And, I was, and these are two people who'd be watching every World Cup. But, like, you know, if, they, if something happens to World Cup, to to make it unfair they'd be all over it but it happens to women it's just something to snigger about you know and the other thing i noticed was that a lot of my friends uh the men uh were very it seemed to me i I figured out pretty quickly that they were outsourcing their opinion on the issue to their wives because they would they would they would say i i heard from multiple people my wife says it's not a problem and this was always people who were extremely comfortable and their wives will never need a shelter or a rape crisis center, God, God willing, or, or any other kind of uh, uh, thing that, uh, you know, some of the, what you might call the forgotten, have to deal with, Yes, you know? Yes. Um, and, you know, they were all kind of behaving like this, and I was in touch with, with rape crisis victims who couldn't attend rape crisis uh, services or uh uh, yes, yeah, a rape crisis service in in um, in Scotland because of the atmosphere up there, because the fact that the the rape crisis Edinburgh, I think it is, is um, run by a trans identified male who did not tell them in the interview that he was trans he was a man. Um, uh, you know, I was hearing stories like that. I was hearing stories uh, like uh, a, a man was telling me that his daughter was disappearing before his eyes because she was taking testosterone and he couldn't stop her, even though he knew the effects on her health would be irreparable. Mm-hmm. I, I met a therapist who said that uh, kids were coming into her in a distraught because they had been told that JK Rowling wanted to kill them. And she said, I can't tell them it's not true because they might report me to my accreditation body, you know? Uh, Just to look at the headlines this morning, the Andrometriosis Society, one of them in, U- in the UK, have just appointed a man as their CEO, a trans-identified well, the reason, man. And the reason we know that, Graham, is because you tweeted about it yesterday. I couldn't, when I saw that first, where you where you did the tweet, I won't repeat it because uh, our, our listeners are all delicate on the language front, but you were like... WTF, basically, and then you had that piece. And I'm looking at it, and, and, and it wasn't immediately clear, by the way. And then, I, and then I read your second tweet, and it was like, are you absolutely kidding me here? So endometriosis, <laughs> which is this disease, by the way, which, by the way, is quite political because a lot of, and I happen to know someone who has endometriosis, and it's a complete freaking nightmare. And one of the biggest problems with it is, is that it's never, it's never really been taken seriously because it's kind of very, you know, a lot of women were treated like they were hysterical or they were making it up or, you know, it's just, you know. Well, it's very hard to die. Diagnose, and it's right? very hard to diagnose. But then, but then, in the midst of all of this, where there's now this now resurgent thing, where it's like, look, this is a really this happens to women. It's really awful, and we need to take it super, super seriously. Yeah. Scotland have decided. I think it's Scotland, right? Have decided to make the CEO of the Endometriosis Society be this trans woman. This so ma- a man, man pretending so a man, to be on. a man, a man dressed up as a woman is is, and it's it's like, okay, you're not. We're not going to take this seriously. No, actually, you know what? We're actually not going to take more this seriously. More important things. Yeah. 
We're going to have we're going to have somebody who couldn't possibly begin to understand what it's like to have endometriosis be the person in charge of making this uh, uh, the proper issue that it should be. It's a joke. But I, 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 we have so many questions. Not for you, only Graham. that, but the bloke in question. The bloke in question has written terrible things about women. is is obviously misogynist. is like has no idea about boundaries. He's uh, he's he's uh, he's known. He's well well known. When I tweeted about him last night, about I would say five or six different women wrote me emails telling me facts about him. And we're about to publish a new piece about him to, to kind of collect some of this stuff. You, when you're on but, that, just um, what what is the name of your website, by the way, Graham? Just let people know. Uh, Substack. Oh, your Substack. I think you have a website. Oh, sorry, as well. it's the, my Substack is called the Glinner Update. Um, at the moment, I'm like it's it's really just a kind of uh, regular thing publishing my friend JL's uh, um, uh, uh, kind of updates on, on on the week's events. We call it the week a week in the war on women, and she's been just. Uh, cataloging that every week, doing brilliant, a brilliant job. Um, I've been, ha- I haven't been adding to it as much as I'd like recently because I've been publicizing the book. But, uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good old website. But like, yeah, so she's written something about him. G l i n n e r Glenner update. Yeah, is that yep. it? So, so yeah, like this is a. It's just one one of the things that I don't think people are aware enough of is that a lot of trans rights activism is trolling. It's cle- it's simply trolling women. It's like trying to find the thing that will hurt, offend, or annoy women the most, and then doing it, you know? And in a way, it's kind of good for us because, uh, like, I, as I think, I believe Lenin used to say, worse is better. And when these people do something as violently insulting, as uh, make a, ma- a male a CEO of a, a, a I won't try and pronounce it, uh, a, 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 society, a, a group that's supposed to be helping women's health, especially something, as you say, as fraught as that condition, because it is, uh, as you say, women are often told they're being hysterical when they're complaining about it. It's a disgraceful action that's to, wild, to yeah. 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 especially yeah. especially a misogynist, you know, which he is. Unbelievable. You know? So, so like, yeah, and it's so. But again, the more people see the nature of this activism, the more they realize, oh, hang, hang on a sec, this isn't really about a um, a vulnerable minority. This is about men exercising their power over women you know and uh, there is certainly a vulnerable minority in there but our problem at the moment is it's very hard to see the wood from the trees uh tra- i don't know if you know this but transsexuals are there's a nickname for transsexuals uh among the among trans rights activists um they call them truce gun because they don't them what? they truth think gun. that they're kind of being too True scum, T R U S C U M, and it means you know a transsexual like, like my friend uh, Debbie Hayton, who has had an operation and and uh, it, it, you know does suffer from dysphoria uh, to the extent that 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 he he had something done, um, and they think that that's you know they they don't like that because they want to make the uh, the experience of being transgender as ill-defined and 
easy to access as possible. So you have blokes who, you know, my my favorite thing is, you know, they put a bit of black fingernail polish on and then they're walking into women's toilets, you know? These are these are kind of like what you might call trans tourists who <laughs> don't have dysphoria. Yeah. Who don't have dysphoria and are often, you know, are often uh people who uh, enjoy breaking boundaries and enjoy annoying people and, and, and enjoy trolling people. So I think once people realize that what what this movement is to, to, some, to a large extent is the kind of what I call the real revenge of the nerds. It's a lot of uh, men who spent a lot of time in front of computers, a lot of time looking at pornography and a lot of time insulting and arguing with women online. And they found a cheat code that allowed them not only to continue doing all the things they love doing, but to do all these things while being called the most vulnerable minority on earth. No, I just want to remind people we're here talking to Graham Linehan about his book, Tough Crowd, uh, how I got made and lost a career in comedy. And he lost the career in comedy because he he called out the trans madness. And you have another question there. Well, I, I don't. Well, I'm. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. I want to go on to. I, I, well, actually, I have actually, so many questions. But I, let me. Let me I, do this I want one. to ask right. Graham one. Well, no, um, Graham, <laughs> you, you, um, you, you talked earlier about Pink News. I read in Pink News that your book, oh yeah, hasn't even broken into the top one thousand in on, on Amazon. That's right. Why, why are we interviewing such a failure? Yeah. Even Pink News will publish something, even if they, even if the proof of it exists online. They, they just want to create a kind of separate reality that all their readers and supporters will will believe and you know they these are things that can be parroted over and over again and and again you know i sometimes call it a tiered reality you know like basically the people who believe who read pink news believe an entirely set different set of facts that uh the people who read the times say believe you know so uh can I just say something? I met you in Dublin a couple of months ago on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that stage, you had tweeted out that your book was number three on the Amazon bestsellers list. And I stopped you. I just walked past. And there you were on the street. And I goes, excuse me, Graham, you're you're a liar. It's actually number two on the And I have it. <laughs> I'm, hopefully I can find that screenshot. <laughs> it was actually number two on the Amazon bestseller yeah. list, right? Remember I stopped you and you thought, who's this weird old guy stopping me in the street of Dublin? Uh, and uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's there. It was number two, right? Uh, and Pink News, you know. The beloved, and by the way, the beloved internet was reporting this, by yes. the way. Their beloved internet. And they're now saying it never broke the top 1,000. And it's just like, I mean, how how who went into journalism yeah. to do that? Basically, Pink News is a is is a, is set up to kind of uh, protect the people who are working for it. Like the the editor is married to an ex trustee of Mermaids, and people who have any involvement with Mermaids have, are are heavily invested in destroying the reputation of people who kind of come out against them. Mermaids is is under investigation uh, at the moment. And I think that soon it will be considered one of the greatest medical scandals of all time, that what they were allowed to do. And, you know, they're not, they're not even like slowing down. Uh, ben Cohen, uh, who's the editor, he, he also uh, teamed up with Snapchat to encourage young women to get double mastectomies, you know, uh, they even use the term trans joy, 
to describe this. So these are extremely dangerous people who who are will do everything they can to cover up the fact that they've been involved in in an atrocity. You know, I think that the mutilation of these kids is 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 a modern atrocity, and um, yeah, I guess I guess they they'll just do everything they can to uh, to destroy my uh, you know any any uh, chance of me being heard on this. One of the things, so the, the second half of the book, which starts with interlude, I mean, it's 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 very sad. I mean, your story, the story of what happened to you is just, it's just horrific. And the stuff of nightmares that you went from being the toast of the town and people just loving you all over the place to having the people that you loved most in the world, like basically turn on you um, and you've lost so, so much. But to think of something sort of on a sort of cheerful note, I mean, I, I am very focused on the fact that you did lose a lot of friends and I would want to ask you about that, how that how you cope from day to day with, with, that, with that loss. But in the midst of all of that, you've had this kind of extraordinary thing where you've made all these new friends and uh, one of them jumped out at me who is actually an old friend of ours from back in the day because we, we, we used to work in, uh, as journalists in Romania. And Baroness Emma Nicholson came, came across our path back then and she, she, we, were, we were great, great buddies of hers for a number of years we're working on the issue of international adoption um, and she's a rock star on that subject but I love the fact so she so Baroness Emma Nicholson from the House of Lords um, former Conservative now Liberal Democrat Liber, Liberal Democrat Independent now I think tell she's us, independent Tell us and she's I, I mean she was a big enough age back then when we when we knew her she, she's obviously I think she might, might be 90 now Tell us what happened. She she asked you out on a date. Let's just put it that way. Um, why did she do that? And tell us about that occasion because actually it's, it's a very interesting story. Oh yeah. Well, her husband was uh, Mike. Was a man named Michael Kane. Obviously not the Michael Kane, who was one of the people who was responsible for setting up the Booker Prize in the UK, which is probably which is the most famous literary prize in 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 in, in London in England, and. Um, yeah, she she was uh, she started defending women, and she was disinvited from uh, from the ceremony. You know, I went along with her. They they kind of stuck their toe back in the back back in the water by inviting her uh, to an announcement of the nominees one year, and I went along with her, which probably <laughs> which probably didn't do much. That's called trolling, I think. <laughs> but you know, it was just she's just been treated disgracefully. Yeah. But unfortunately, publishing is one of those worlds that has been completely uh, captured by this by this uh, ideology, and um, uh, yeah, they they and and also the the men who are kind of aiding the uh, cancellation attempts on uh, on Nicholson on on Emma are men who you know we always do the same thing whenever whenever a man starts abusing a woman. Uh, on behalf of quote-unquote trans rights. We always run the word tranny through a search engine and the advanced search on Twitter. And sure enough, they're always throwing it around the place uh, about five or six years ago, you know? So Mm. what you have is a group of men who, when it was fashionable, they called trans people trannies. Mm -hmm. And now that it's fashionable not to, they're calling the women who are fighting this stuff, uh, uh, nasty names, and getting them cancelled from, from, 
from an from an, an evening that her husband set home. Oh my yeah. gosh! You know, oh, so unbelievable! It's a vicious, I mean, I mean, vicious thing. Horrible to, to do to her. For those who don't know, then the Booker Prize—it's—it's mm. it's one of the most prestigious literary prizes on, I mean, the planet. on the planet. It's 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 just below the Nobel Prize. It's one of the top. I think it's probably the second most prestigious. Maybe there's a Pulitzer might be. You know, it's up. It's the British. It's the Commonwealth Pulitzer. You know, um, it's a massive thing. And her husband set it up, and now they're trying. They disinvited her from the ceremony uh, because because of her opinions about women. And she's a woman, and you know, and she's you know, she's a deaf woman, by the oh, way. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not trying to gain her. You know, yeah. Olympic Olympic and, and suffering. Not, not just that, as as you said earlier, she's also someone who has done an incredible amount for. Um, uh, for uh, children uh, who otherwise would have been just left on a scrap heap, you know, she she she's rescued children. In fact, literally rescued them. Sometimes, someone once told me. I mean, I, I spoke to uh, I can't remember who he was, but he he had something to do with uh, the embassy in Iraq, and uh, he said one day he was he was in the embassy in London, the the UK embassy, and uh, he picked up the phone. And it was Emma, and she shouted down the phone, "Open the borders!" <laughs> and what it was was she had rescued two children and was driving them across across the, you know, yeah, well, one of them, yeah, country, well, I, you know, I, just I, to- I know one of them had severe uh, burns. And she was taking him to the UK. He was uh, a teenager, so I'm taking him to the UK for for treatment. Um, but you know, she she was born deaf. Yeah. It wasn't diagnosed, so she she was thought to be thought, yeah, thought, thought to be stupid, stupid yeah. etc. Uh, she uh, you know right, just went right. from one. She she's a good person to to kind of. I know you guys are probably more on the right than I am, but but she she is probably the person who changed my my attitude about the right in the sense that I used to have this kind of, um, you know, lazy assumption that, that right-wing people weren't thinking through the, weren't thinking through the issues. Oh boy, was that wrong? Uh, <laughs> weren't thinking through the issues, uh, where we're not compassionate, uh, where, um, racist and all sorts of other is, 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 and meeting her, she was like a, this, she was an assistant. She was Margaret Thatcher's assistant, you know? I mean, you can't get closer to uh, uh, a kind of uh, right-wing figure in the UK than that. But she's just a wonderful person. She's she's the most decent, humane, thoughtful, respectful uh, um, fighter for the underprivileged and for the and for the weak she she's a, she's a hero cool i loved when when you mentioned her in the book because it, it, it i just thought oh my god here's emma again doing doing a real emma thing and even the way you described her because she's very she's got a terribly correct voice or whatever and i i just remember when when she we we knew her very well in romania and and the kind of work that she did and she was you know she's a she she's a real fighter i mean and she's not scared of anything and i just thought in the midst of this controversy over over the Booker Prize. What does she decide to do? They're, they're letting her put her toe back in the water and she says, oh yeah, I'm going to bring a date by the way. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she chooses to bring you and it's like, good for you, Emma. Go, go girlfriend. I mean, you know? many's a person yeah, at her yeah, age yeah. would be, would be yeah. retiring and, and yeah. taking it easy and she's still there ready for the fight. I, I, I don't hear from her as much as I, as I used to. I, I hope she's, uh, she's, she's still flourishing because she's uh you know, just one, and also she is a brilliant. Um, she's one of these people who gets stuff done. Yes, yes. You yes. know, like she, if she sees something is happening, she will write a letter 
to the person you have to write a letter to. And it'll be on her with her letterhead, the House of Lords on it. And she and she gave me some great advice as well, some great activism advice. She said, whenever you write a letter to someone, write a letter to someone else saying that you've written the letter to the first person. Yeah. Because they, it, it's, it's not enough to write a letter. You have to let people know that you've written the letter. So um, she's, she's great. Like, I just think she's one of the... And, you know, before all this, this is one of the advantages, one of the th- good things that's happened to me, which kind of spins us back into where you started with this conversation. But in the old days, I really only knew people in television, you know? Which is uh, which was fine, but it was just a very kind of uh, I would say samey group of people, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas in this fight, I meet so many different types from who have so much such a wide range of experience, from people like Emma, who's in the House of Lords, to people like Tish, my friend, who's who's like you know uh, a a a mother just trying to save her son from doing some, something terrible to himself. Um, I, 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 if in terms of, uh, it's almost a shame it didn't happen earlier in a way because it's great, great for a writer to to have such a, a wide range of of uh, of people to to think about and to to draw from, you know. So um, yeah, she is a, she's a very good example of of ways in which my life has been enriched. You know, it's, it's tough, yeah. still because like you know. These are not people I like my natural crowd are people who don't take anything seriously, you know, who you cannot talk about a serious issue because they will joke about it and and, uh, and they will they will make fun of you for for taking it seriously. You know, that's that's my usual crowd. But um, unfortunately, uh, you know, they 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 as as an apolitical bunch they just have no interest in in getting involved in this debate, you know. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts. Yeah. It's funny. One of the things that I think I've noticed and and, and I've heard this from people on the right, you know, um, is they've, they've formed these really weird um, allegiances and have become friends with the with the most people they would never have imagined. Like, I'm just thinking of a friend of mine who's very involved in this fight and he's, you know, very religious, evangelical Christian. You know, you don't get much more right wing than that and and has formed a, a, a relationship with Martina Navratilova and... Um, and lesbians. He's big with the lesbians. And he's really, as he says, yeah, he's really big with the lesbians now. And it... it because I think yes. it's it's bigger. This issue is bigger than just about everything else. And I kind of I, I have a couple of questions. One question I have: Is there anything in history that you think that can come even approximately come anywhere close to this madness? I mean, we think often of we often mention eugenics, but I actually don't think eugenics was as. I just think there's something different about eugenics and this. I think this is an, uh, stratospherically more awful. Yes, although what I would say is that this, for me, reminds me most of what happened just after the printing press was invented, uh, which was basically the Reformation happened, and also uh, a number of kind of spin-offs of the Reformation. Like, the Reformation was the successful one, but there were a number of religious manias that accompanied the Reformation around the same time just before or after and they were like full of things like massacres and and uh and you know end of the world predictions that never came true and stuff like this 
And essentially what's happened is the, the internet is like the printing press multiplied by a million, uh, a billion. And uh, there's other things as well with it, with it. I mean, I joke about this, but I genuinely mean it. Things like spell check, they, they make crazy people sound sane. So what you <laughs> have a... is like you have a kind of uh, – and, and AI will make it, make it even worse because what AI – what you can do with AI is you can – you could put in a crazy screed and say, make this sound normal. And it will. And then you can send that off and people think, oh, this, this guy said, this guy knows what he's talking about. No, he doesn't. He's just a crazy guy. It's so funny you should say that because, <laughs> you know, uh, as a journalist working in Ireland in the 90s, like I did, uh, and, and after, I mean, we you regularly got letters written in green ink. You always, you know, and uh, yo, it's one of these green ink letters, right? Or uh, sometimes it was red ink as well. This will make just... me stand out. That's <laughs> yeah. what they thought. This will make like... me stand out. Yeah. They won't ignore this. Yes. <laughs> and it's t 20 pages of tightly written madness, right? Badly spelled, complete, no, no, not logical at all. But as you say, now they can send you an email that has spell checked and has got a grammar check on it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it gives them this layer. Back then, you know, you you had a collection of letters in green ink. You know, now now they're all they all look. They look there's no more look. green ink. And and what's and what's particularly dangerous about this is that it can it can make um, uh, crazy uh, uh, opinions uh, get a kind of new life. Like uh, the, uh, one of the things about the trans uh, rights movement is it's so incredibly homophobic. The idea that that like uh, a, a lesbian can have a penis is pure homophobia, um, and then also you've seen what recently happened after October seven, which was an extraordinary convulsion of anti-Semitism around the world, and it's it's not just anti-Semitism; it's unembarrassed yes. anti-Semitism. Yes, yes, anti-Semitism that's not ashamed of showing its yes. face. Yeah, yes, and that's because I I think that all these old ancient prejudices have been given a, a, a shine by the internet memes and stuff like that they just make it feel new they make it feel like these people are 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 are, are stepping outside the norm but it's like no you're not you're just doing what people have done for forever you're hating jews you're hating women and you're hating gay people you know but but it but it all again like the green ink because it's not written in green ink everyone thinks it's uh, it's a fresh perspective we're coming to the end of the interview, Graham, but I want to ask you, wh wh where are we in this war? I mean, Phelan and I make this distinction between the United States and, and, and the UK. The UK seem to be doing a lot better than, than the United States. So the madness is, 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 uh, it has complete hold here. There's no, there's no pushback of any kind really going on here that's, that's getting anywhere. Whereas in the UK, obviously, with the closure, closure of Tavistock and a number of those um, investigations, it seems, it feels like there's some progress. What, what, where do you think you are in this war with rationality? Funnily enough, the, the, the Tavistock may have closed, but uh, Hannah... Uh, Kathleen Stock recently uh, and Hannah Barnes uh, recently revealed that some of the old doctors who um, were the problem in the Tavistock are, have just moved to these new centres. And uh, uh, I think, yeah. And someone said that they're, they're actually working alongside the people who blew the whistle on them. So this is like a, this is a, gender ideology is like a weed. 
You know, it's not going to it's not going to disappear by by being uprooted in one particular area. It needs it needs like root and branch work, and um, uh, that's not going to that's not going to change until we we until the ideology is completely um, uh, dismissed or what's the word? Um, uh, you know, the ideology is complete. Yeah, destroyed is 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 the but I, but I mean it has to be seen as as what it is, which is a busted flush. It's a busted flush. Everyone thought it would change the world. It was this miraculous new thing. People have got to got to really see that it was the wrong road to go down. It's caused immense misery. It's it's broken up family and friendships. It is a disaster. And the only way people will see that, I think is with the uh, cases in America that will be, I think, coming soon. Uh, lawsuits. Lawsuits. suing their yeah. doctors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, agree, I agree with you. I've, I, th- I've, I think yeah. that even, even though you say, even, even though you say it hasn't advanced as far in America, I think America might be the key to it, to it all falling apart everywhere. Because when people realize how much money is going to be, you know, I mean, when the first big settlements are reached, that's going to pull people up quite quite quickly, and then I think you'll see the doctors start start to stop, if that makes sense, and maybe then, maybe then, a little bit of reflection uh, from the people who've been pushing it. No, I agree with you. I, I think that funny enough, though, I was I, I've been wrong before because I actually thought when the sports thing started, I actually thought the minute the sports thing started, I thought, okay, no one is going to allow. You know, your darling daughter, no one is going, no one's going to stand for this. Looking at your darling daughter, who's super brilliant at tennis or whatever, who's super brilliant as an athlete. No one's going to stand for the fact that she hasn't got a hope in hell going forward. This is going to be the end of it. Okay, I was wrong (laughs) about that. And now, now I'm actually with you on this one. I mean, I can't believe, by the way, so many people are are folding onto this, the, the, the sports thing. I just can't believe parents are allowing, they look at a child and think, yeah, you are, you're unbelievably talented. I remember years and years ago I interviewed what was the name of that gymnast film? Um, Nadia Kamenech. Nadia Kamenech. You know, who was from the like basically from the day she was born she she was doing handstands before she could walk, you know. So there's people who were born like that who were unbelievably talented um, in, in sports. I'm not that kind of person. Um, but, I, but I admire those that are. But the idea that you'd have a child that you'd look at them and think okay, this is one of those incredible kids hasn't got a hope in hell ever of getting like the scholarship or whatever, or getting on the great team. I thought that would stop everyone. I thought everyone would agree on that and say, okay, enough is enough now. You know, if you have a penis, you are not a girl. You know, I I thought that was going to be the end of it, but no, no, no. But I I do agree with you. I think the law, I think the law is a a good possibility. I think it has to be a multi-pronged. It has to be everything. It has to be, it has to, we have to, it has to be made fun of. It has to be taken Politically, it has to be taken down, but it also law in terms of lawsuits. And, and I mean, America is further behind because the Democrats have completely bought into this. Yeah. So it's it's divided along left, right, here. Uh, and now there are states that are leading the charge, but they're all red states. However, the thing in Britain is that there are many from the left who who are starting, who are have spoken out and are starting to speak out more so than in the United States. And that, that's just an observation from afar. Maybe it's different if you're there. I think that's true. And also, I mean, I don't know what's been keeping the Tories. Uh, I guess they, they, my feeling is that they're a lot of kind of uh, right, 
conservative uh, parties and conservative people are sitting on this as an issue until they need to use it in an election. I think once that happens, you'll see it start to flare up a lot because like uh, it's a winning ticket. It's a winning ticket. You know, as you say, do you want to protect your daughters from losing their medal? I met I met a woman the other day. Her daughter was a jujitsu uh, silver medalist. She's given it up. She's given it up because of the men in the, in the in the sport. I think that's recently changed, but like maybe it's too late to to keep her in the sport. But like you know, once once the the a big mach, a big publicity machine like conservatives will have when they're running for election again uh, starts to interview these 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 people in in well lit studios, then uh, with with music you know as swelling behind their their testimonies. I think things might turn around yeah, quite quickly. I, I don't know why they're not making an issue now. I mean, why they're not um, using it to... to, to I it's mean, just not, a, not, not electorally advantageous when there's not an election on. I think they're just sitting on... It, to me, it's like they have... This issue is like an atomic bomb for the right. They just have to drop it, and it's all, and they win. They win elections. So, so in a way, it's like... it's. I have to disagree. I mean, I have to not not disagree with you, but I have to disagree with them. Like oh, elections yeah. are not won in the last three weeks of the election campaign, yeah. right? Yeah. People are smarter than that now. People sure. are saying you're just using that. You're just where were you when? You yeah, know, back then. Um, you know, cops are calling to people's yeah, doors yeah. In, in the UK, uh, arresting them as as they, as Northumbria police just did last week, arrested a woman who for tweeting uh, a, a trans men are not women, you know, or trans whatever trans women men with penises yeah. are not women, and next thing she's she's been arrested. Uh, and, and, and questioned. questioned. Um, so, you know, people see that. Questioned rather than arrested, yeah. yeah. Questioned rather than arrested, yeah, or exactly. Yeah. 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 So, we're yeah. coming to the end. We're coming to the end. What What's next for you, Graham? I don't know. I mean, you know, I feel, I feel like it's hard for me to write anything creative when I worked for three years on the Father Ted musical and they're refusing to make it. Um, I feel like I'm just going to keep trying to apply pressure to hat trick to to release it so that we can make it. I'll I'll put it on in a pub if I have to, you know. Um, it's a it's a brilliant piece of work. It's extremely funny. The songs are amazing. It's it's just great. Can I just and, can, um, can I just uh, uh, we, we didn't get talking about it there. Keep fighting for it. We didn't get talking about it. So you, the, you had Father Ted the musical, which of course is a brilliant idea, one of the most popular sitcoms, and there's a lot of '90s nostalgia around at the moment. Um, you know the '80s nostalgia and the '90s, and you had a Father Ted musical that you worked on for maybe ten years. Um, so it's going to be funny. It was going to be irreverent. It was going to be wonderful. About three three or four years. Yeah, and. Th- yeah. You walked into a yeah. meeting uh, in Hattrick, which are the producers, and they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to make it, but you have to take your name off it because you're toxic. And we'll give you money. We'll give you money. Can you go away, please? And, and you refused it. They, gave me, they offered me £200,000 to walk away from it, yeah. And I told them, I t- I, in the end, I just felt that, uh, you know, the, 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 the kids being damaged by this uh, ideology and the women and men losing their livelihoods because of this ideology were more it was more important to try and draw attention to that and to stick to my principles i've not done anything wrong you know beyond uh beyond uh sometimes that my frustration getting the better of me and getting angry in, in exchanges usually with people who are sending me dogs abuse you know um and uh i refuse to behave as if i've done anything wrong and I, and you know, my unfortunate mistake that I made was was betting on my friends. 
was thinking that my friends would 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 back me up, but um, none of them have had the courage to do so. You know? uh, just and, and just on that one, I mean um, that and I and you, you know, I, I actually I put two marks in the book at the beginning, and both of them and both of them refer to your where you're describing the pain of betrayal and the pain of you know running this race and turning around to find that there's nobody with you that the people that you expected to turn up didn't you kept thinking they're going to turn up they're going to turn up people are going to turn up and 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 they didn't um i i, I can't imagine that that's not that is not one that will be easily healed that pain will not easily go away i can't imagine how that goes away oh someone was talking about one of my friends the other night and they were saying give, give them a call you know and and I thought, well, it's really not up to me to give them a call, you know. I like over the last five or six years, I've been completely isolated from uh, from any kind of normal existence uh, because my friends did not stand up for me. Just let me be kind of let me they let me swing in the wind basically, and um, you know, I I, I I don't know. I just feel like. Uh, I feel like um, I could have, I could, you know, I don't want to be over dramatic, but but Gillian Phillip, who was a who's a cancelled author in Scotland, she she said this as well. The ultimate aim of these people who are trying to destroy my livelihood and trying to destroy uh, my reputation is they want me to kill myself, you know. And had I had I not had something to do, <laughs> which was my blog and my and my. Um, uh, if if I hadn't had that blog, I could well be dead by now, you know. And the fact that my friends, you know, Neil Hannan, Arthur Matthews, you know, my colleagues, Jimmy Mulville and all these people allowed that to happen to me. I don't know. I, I think it just speaks for itself. Yeah, no, it's it's. Um, yeah, I mean, we're very glad you're here. And, yes. I, and, and I think, you know, and if you if, if it's any any good at all, you, we'll we're we're going to remind you of how incredibly important it is. And having somebody like you, you and J.K. Rowling, like, I mean, are doing, you know, you know, God's work. I mean, so those of us who believe in God would, would would describe it as that because because people have to stand up. This is, as you say, and you and you describe it so well in the book, and we haven't really talked too much about that. And we are coming to the end of the interview. But basically, what is going on, the butchery that's going on, that's forever, by the way. Those children that already have been hurt are hurt forever. They're, there's no recovering, as, as um, Abigail Schreier says, irreversible damage. It's irreversible, you know, osteoporosis from from taking these drugs. And, and then, and, but double mastectomy, which, you know, anyone who says top surgery needs to be punched. Sorry, I now I've just said that on my podcast. But, you know, anyone who says, you know, top surgery, you know, and, and funny, I actually did that myself one time. I said it to somebody and they, and they basically didn't quite punch me, but they should have. You know, we can't give in to that language. It's a double mastectomy. It's a freaking double mastectomy. Um, why why not call it that? It was always called, it was always called mastectomy. Why would it suddenly be called something different? And it's because they hate the, the language that describes what they're actually doing. And all the stuff that they're doing with stuff beneath the belt is just... I, I, I've unfortunately accidentally seen some of those photographs of what they do to, oh, with penises and with vaginas. It's it's the Nazis hadn't a, hadn't a clue that the Nazis were only getting going, you know. When you think about it in, compa- in comparison, as, so, as someone said, it's a hundred percent failure rate for these operations. One hundred percent failure rate. There is no, you know, and there was a guy. There's a guy recently who's who's becoming. Um, uh, uh, the, in America, the face of re- regret about these surgeries. He was 22 years old. 
He's 22 years old now. He and his family were told by doctors that the operation would turn him into an actual woman. They literally believed they would turn, he would turn into a real woman. And now he's basically a 22-year-old gay man whose sexuality has been destroyed by these bastards, you know. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and one of the things to always be on guard against is this language they use to try and hide what they're doing. You know, totally agree. And 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 by the way, okay, I'm, I'm I really am going to stop. But I, I I presume you don't mention her in the book. But um, you I presume you've come across the Irish woman in Florida called Sive Gallagher. Am I saying her name correctly? She was one of his doctors. She was one oh, of his doctors. Oh my the, god! The person I just spoke about. Oh yeah, and you've yeah. seen her tick her horrific TikToks. That the TikToks alone should get her taken off any medical. No, um, give her a medal. Now, certi- you know, certification. I mean, unbelievable. Anyway, we are definitely going to stop. Yes. Um, yes. Graham, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Honestly, thanks a million for your time. Everybody, we highly recommend this book. Tough I mean, crowd. Tough crowd. But also um, subscribe to Graham's Substack. Glinner. Um, Glinner, and we'll put we'll put all of that up in our show notes by the way so people have no difficulty finding and, finding and in the email that we send out so subscribe to our email too if you want those details as well and what we'll do is um, we'd love to check in with you again Graham in maybe six months or a year please God you know things are going to have changed um, because this is this is this is the fight to be in and um, and you're doing you're fighting the good fight for, for lots of people and you're giving people inspiration uh, even if you didn't inspire people that were very very close to you so well done you Thank okay. you very much. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Bye. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. So, um, as we said before, you can get the book on Amazon. You can get the audible version, which is narrated by Graham himself. And I just think when you, you know, those final moments of the interview there, I mean, it's it's incredibly tough. I mean, I, they I'm, wanted him dead. They want. They basically wanted him dead, and he's very aware of that. And he's lost everything. I mean, we didn't really talk about it during the interview, but his wife has left him, um, and he has lost his livelihood. He's com- like yeah. everything. So he was king of the world, and you know, was was doing something great by the For way he was making, the making the whole world laugh by the way you know that's what his job was he was making the whole world laugh and he's very be- he's big believer in commercial um, humour in making it so that it's for everyone that, that, that it's for every person not for the elites that's the kind of humour he wanted was for the ordinary people and they've taken all of that away from him they've taken everything away from him and, and also on top of that friends that he thought he knew mm-hmm. um, have deserted him and it's a, it's a tough it's a very tough space to be in so um, so please do support him yes um and, and that's, that's the that's end kind of the show. Yeah, that's the end of the we're, show. We're rushing week. to catch a plane, basically. We are. We basically kind of are, actually. Yes. Um, but we will. the next time you see us, we will be somewhere in Israel um, and we'll we'll let you know. We're not even 100% sure where, where we're going to land first. So, um, But we'll, we'll be talking to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.